Hello, everyone. This is Michael Jaco with Unleashing Intuition Secrets, the podcast. Join us as we reveal how you can become the master of your reality. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Jaco with Unleashing Intuition Secrets. Joined once again by Ola Demigard, the Lytle Conspiracy Master. All right, so you have done some incredible stuff in your lifetime uh, as far as like revealing. I, I really think that of everybody that looks at, you know, the deep state operations and so forth, everybody looks at you as like the number one guy, I think. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had some people that I've, I've dealt with that are revealers in this community and they, they say you're the best. And I agree. I mean, you're just incredible. So thank you for what you do. Now you, you and your wife and someone that's close to your organization, uh, you guys have been sick for a long time. We kind of talk about that. You kind of like came out to talk about it, uh, our last show. And I know a lot of people prayed for you. So you're, you're doing good today. Uh, so that's good. So everybody that sent those prayers, good job. Keep them coming. Cause you never know. So. Yeah. Yeah, I really want to thank everyone who's been really supportive. I've got a lot of the emails with sort of like, try this, try this, try that. Super, super appreciated. And also mm. people have offered healing stuff and uh, remote healing, but it's like, there is, sorry, I don't know who you are. And uh, sometimes bad boys are offering the exact same services, but with <laughs> a different intention. So I'm like, I don't think so. I have sort of like, I'm trying to keep my doors closed so that I decide who to open for. So thank you so much, both good and bad boys and the wonderful women out there. Uh, but we're finally, after I think about five weeks of fever here, we're, we're out on the other side and every day is uh, just a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger. So excellent, super, super. I really feel also that this might be a very symbolic new year, that it's the end of a at the end of an era in many different areas. For me personally, for sure, so many of these big mysteries that after all of these years, I feel that I I am, for my, at least for myself, putting closure to the understanding of, okay, there's still, as always, there's still details out there, but the bigger picture, I think, uh, for me, is very clear regarding RF, uh, JFK, RFK, Today, we're going to talk about Marilyn Monroe, um, Olaf Palmer, these things that down, you know, it's like 43 years of my life that I devoted to trying to sort this out. And uh, so for me, very symbolic, this end of the year. And so we finish here with Marilyn Monroe, which I have avoided for a long, long time because it is a very, very complex and sensitive uh, one. And I really wanted to be as precise that as, as I could. But I mentioned it earlier, and for months people have said, so what about Marilyn? So what about Marilyn? <laughs> Including Tracy in the background. <laughs> so here we are. Here we are, Marilyn, Marilyn. So art thou ready? We, we're definitely ready. Uh, it is, uh, and for myself, you know, I was always fascinated by Marilyn Monroe. I've read probably all of her books, uh, or not all of them, but there was a lot of books out there. I mean, I don't think I don't think anyone's read everything on Marilyn Monroe because there's so much. But it is really, uh, you know, uh, drawing the attention of a lot of people, and uh, and you don't get the full picture because I know I've gotten pieces of it over the years, and I know you're a master 
and like you're talking about, you you take all these pieces and you basically build the real story. So yeah, I think we're I think we're all going to get a nice treat tonight. At least I'm trying to. I can only say I cannot swear that this is the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and blah blah blah. But what I can say that this is uh, what over during all of these years, what I managed to put together, because it is like I'm collecting jigsaw puzzles, pieces of a puzzle all over the place. You know, the official version, the unofficial testimonials, whistleblowers, you name it. And over the years, these things, they slowly, slowly move into place. And many times for me, it's like making a jigsaw puzzle, but with a picture side downwards. I, I, I don't know what I'm looking at, you know, and then I find a piece, oh, it fits there. Blum. Sometimes, unfortunately, these pieces fits in more than one places. But then after a while, after years and years and years, these pieces are starting to hang together. And then after a while, I've been able to sort of slowly, slowly turn it around and see the picture itself. Yeah. So this is how I work. I try to be as precise as possible, uh, which is not easy when there's a lot of cover-up going on in these cases. And then you had to ask yourself, why is the cover-up there? Who benefits from covering this thing up? It should just be an ordinary open case. We're talking about Marilyn officially a suicide. What is going on? If she committed suicide, yes, she was depressed. Yes, she was not in a good space. She could have made a suicide. Thank you and goodbye. End of story. But that is not what we see here. We see here, I would say it's the biggest Hollywood mystery ever. And in the center of this is this woman that went under the name of Marilyn Monroe, who was this um, like sex goddess, this uh, uh, Hollywood, she was the Hollywood star, I mean, whatever that uh, entangled, and she was mingling with all of these very key people in what was going on in the early 1960s in an incredible network where she was being, not because she was smart, but because she was, a, I would almost call it a sex toy, where she was being used by the CIA and other forces, the, the mob as well, as a reward, as a way of blackmailing presidents, as a way of, uh, I mean, she was completely used, uh, I think, and controlled. But at the same time, she had a brilliant, she had an incredible career. And then... It ended up with her dying before the age of 40 in her house in Brentwood. It's an exclusive sort of district. The address is 12305 Helen, Helen, Helena Drive in Los Angeles. It's it's an exclusive area, or it was, used to be. And if you see it, it's a very short little street. Uh, she lived right at the end of the street. And this house, who's been, it's been very famous or infamous for being the place where she ended her life. Uh, it just came up for sale this year, I think 8.5 million or something like that. And the new owners, whoever they are, <clears throat> very I, I can't see anyone. It's very hard to know who's behind the, the purchase. And they wanted to just to tear it down and mm -hmm. build something new there, which I always find odd when it's like a very historical uh, building, why Why is that not turned into like a museum or some historical, I mean, 
you have all of these historical buildings that have sort of like a, a golden blah, blah, blah. This is where Colonel this and that got a bullet to his head or whatever. And then suddenly it's a historical, uh, what do you call it? Like a, a historical mark or whatever. Here, places like that should, instead of being torn down for a reason that I really don't understand. But anyway, that is what's going on right now. And people have tried to stop that. I don't know how they... Uh, how that has gone, but uh, this is uh, the process. So there's there's still very odd things happening connected to this. I want to point out that, do you, do you remember um, a couple of years ago, last year, there was an actress called Anne Heshi who was, uh, she was in Wag the Dog, uh, this very, very interesting movie when it comes to false flags and so on, but also other movies. And she, on that exact date, uh, on the 60th anniversary of the death of Marilyn Monroe, on the date she is said to have driven this car straight into a house that then turned on flames. Uh, after some 30 minutes, they managed to drag out the car. She was still in. She was still alive, but and but officially dead. So she came out. She was carried out in a body bag, and then suddenly, out of the body bag, she sat up just before the, she was pushed into the ambulance. And then she was officially dead or not dead. And then she was alive, but dead. And very, very odd. Also, when you look at the house, I have in my <laughs> segue, my uh, Light on Conspiracies uh, uh, newsletter, I <clears throat> for that month, I have great detail around that case about how this whole thing with this, she lost control of the car. It was like a, a T-road or whatever you call them. And she just went straight into the garden boom, crashed in through the wall. That's where the car was. Well, that's where it turned on fire. And so, but when you look at where the car entered, there's like a, a four foot high um, stone wall. I mean, that this car has just managed to jump up and jump into the wall. Like, it's absolute bullshit. That doesn't, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Very, very odd case. And Every time when somebody dies and then they live and then they die and then they live and then they're put to death, what is going on? You have to ask yourself and on that specific date. But anyway, <clears throat> so let's get back to Marilyn. You know, that's, that's amazing about the Anne Hitch because I didn't realize that that was on the, the anniversary of Marilyn Monroe's death. That, that never, I, and supposedly she was working on a like a child trafficking movie, mm. you know, all kind of, yeah. So, yeah, and I, I, as far as I know, I'm the only one who's pointed out the date to that uh, it's just because I'm such a nerd in these areas that I'm like, wait, wait a second. And it's only like four miles down the road. It's just a stone throw away from where Marilyn ended her days. Then this happened. Oh, wow. And very often, very often they, they love these uh, uh, repeating patterns of, of, dates and locations and sacrifices and weird stuff that is on a level that at least I don't really understand. So just pointing it out and yep. saying there's a possible connection. I mean, four miles down the road, 60-year anniversary, two female actresses. Uh, yeah, very odd circumstances around both of them. But anyway, so Marilyn was not just anyone. She was the one at the time. And we're talking uh, in the beginning of the 60s where 
the Kennedys, have, uh, JFK had gotten into power. Suddenly there was all this optimism. You had the suddenly the the White House, instead of being, uh, you know, like inhabited by some half dead uh, person in his uh, early eighties, we had this young, uh, good looking president, like he was only forty six when he died. That came in with his beautiful wild uh, wife Jackie. And suddenly there was this whole designer thing around her, uh, the way that she was decorating the the White House, the way she was dressing. Suddenly she became like the Lady Di, almost. And and uh, at the same time, also JFK was connected to Las Vegas, to the whole Hollywood scenario, but also to the Chicago mob. We have we have these close, very odd networks where the mafia is involved as well in the CAA and Hollywood and uh, you know and the official power of the White House <clears throat> that uh, became very clear during these years and right in the middle of all of this we have this individual called Marilyn Monroe and so Marilyn uh, was also, there was something called Laurel Canyon, north of Hollywood. Uh, Laurel Canyon, is, it's up in the mountain, very, very strange place in the early 60s, where the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll started in this tiny little place where all of these musicians were like magic, or future musicians, was magically pulled, drawn to this very little place with Frank Zappa in the middle. None of them could play, more or less. None of them had any equipment. None of them. And suddenly, out of this whole thing, boom, most of them had their parents in military-industrial complex in from Marine, you know, like they were connected somehow to the military and also MK Ultra. some of them. And so very odd thing. And in this little community where all of these big stars were pulled in, that's also where the whole hippie movement started from a tiny little group right in the center. And also where we had a CIA, uh, US Air Force Base, very top secret called the Lookout Mountain uh, Air Force Base. And that was the CIA, controlled by the CIA during this whole thing. So you had all of this anti-society, anti-whatever, uh, establishment thing with all of these musicians with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, all of that. And right in the center, you had this CIA base, very, very odd, where there was a massive big movie production going on as well. According to some sources, there were more film produced there than in the whole of Hollywood. It's yeah. like, what? And for what? And have we seen this or have we not? Or how has this been? Where has this been used? And some of the people that were giving access for different reasons to these studios were John Ford, the director, and other, you know, heavyweight names. And as far as I know, Marilyn Monroe as well. Mm. So what was she doing up there? How was she being used? Maybe that was, you know, who knows, where, did they make pornographic movies up there that could be like a high-priced value for dictators where all over, do you know, like, why was she involved there? So once again, she was not just anyone. She also had a, a very close relationship 
with JFK at one point, a sexual relationship. She also had that with Sam Giancana, the Chicago mobster. Mm -hmm. I mean, like what? Yeah. And that was not the only one, uh, woman that these uh, two shared. There was uh, Judith uh, Campbell uh, Exner, who was also like a go-between bec between JFK and Sam Giancarna, and also the Chicago mob, uh, the way they had helped uh, JFK into power, uh, collecting a lot of uh, fake votes from cemeteries and stuff like that to get him into the White House. And then he double-crossed them. So a lot of things going on. Please remember the time of the death of Marilyn Monroe was like a year and a half before the JFK assassination. It would be before the JFK assassination. Oh. It was months before the Cuban Missile Crisis, before, not after, uh, but it was after the Bay of Pigs uh, uh, invasion. The whole very... We're talking like very just months in between, like da, 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 da. and this was also the time where the CIA officially was trying to assassinate Fidel Castro. Mm. So, with the help of the mob, with the help of uh, many different areas, and here we have Jimmy Files, uh, we have Lee Harvey Oswald, Judith the Barry Baker, all of them, Jack Ruby, Dave Ferry, all of them involved in this entangled web of mysteries. Okay, so we come to the end of Marilyn Monroe's death. Officially, she died on the 4th of August, 1962, in her home at 12305 5th, Helena Drive. Helena Drive. I don't know. It was a four-bedroom house, uh, quite discreet, not a big fancy place. Uh, where she was living, she was living there with her uh, housekeeper Eunice Murray, and uh, she had this uh, psychiatrist that she saw a lot of, you know, Doctor Greenson. And every time there's psychiatrists involved in these times with these stars, I feel is it possible that there is an MK Ultra connection, like yeah. a handler situation? Because very often that is what we see. I can't prove it with the. Uh, Dr. Green said, but I tell you that he gives me a lot of the same vibes, the way that uh, uh, she was being helped, uh, you know, like, ooh. Yeah. Drugs and stuff, yeah. Yeah, don't trust him at all. But anyway, so uh, on the day that uh, she died, she was quite upset. She was quite miserable because first she was dumped by JFK. That was like a long time before. But after that, she got, because she was really sort of starstruck with JFK and she was, she was, uh, you know, like just a thing, the idea of her, just this small time girl that came to Hollywood, made it, and then was having an affair with the, the president of the United States. That was something that really gave her a buzz. But they, they never got close. They never really had a tight uh, uh, relationship. And, but... Bobby Kennedy, who was first, I think JFK used Bobby to tell Marilyn to back off because she started harassing uh, the White House uh, when when Marilyn was starting to push, you know, like, uh, because she did not like to be treated like a piece of meat just thrown away. Uh, but JFK started seeing her as a problem. 
because he was if, she, if this had come out, you know, it could have been a massive scandal in those days, of, especially when an affair was like end of career, mm. massive big one. And he was married to Jackie and in the White House and they had children and it was the perfect family and that could have really messed it up. So he said, uh, Robert Kennedy, to tell her to back off, back off. And what happened was that uh, Robert Kennedy instead got involved with her and they had what, according to Marilyn's friends, was a real love affair where, where uh, Marilyn really started loving Bobby Wow. falling in love with her and Bobby as well. They were, they were, it was a very intense affair. And, and at one point, for instance, they, they, uh, they d did crazy stuff, you know, like they, he, Robert put on a fake beard and some glasses <clears throat> and they drove down to, uh, I think it was the Santa Monica beach or Santa Barbara beach. And, and they just went down on the beach, uh, stripped naked and ran into the sea and was just completely Ah, free, you know, driving around like that. Also, very dangerous, very dangerous in these times, you know, with the mm. so, so, um, anyway, so, um, Bobby and Marilyn were very tight together. And according to friends of Marilyn, uh, Marilyn was pregnant with the baby of Bobby Kennedy, not JFK. There's, there's this, right. there are all of these m misunderstandings going on because the time, the timeline doesn't match up. And, and so, uh, if I'm correct, then it was Bobby's uh, baby that she was carrying. So one week before she died, she and Peter Lawford, who is the brother-in-law of the Kennedys, uh, they went to Calneva. Uh, which is uh, Frank Sinatra's place up on the border between California and Nevada, like a gambling place, restaurant, hotel, and where many of these uh, people often met. Kennedy was there at times, both of them. Uh, you had Giancana, you had Frank Sinatra, you had Peter Lawford, you had the Rat Pack, you had all of these people there. And the very last weekend before she died, she was uh, at Cal Neva, and she was not doing good. She was uh, depressed. She was uh, not, you know, she was, like I said, she was sad and on also pissed off and on the verge of being depressed, you know, where she was popping a lot of pills and stuff like that. So she was starting to become dangerous because she knew a lot from the inside. This bimbo had one of the things that was very scary was that she had a red diary where she was writing down everything. She was very, I think, naive in her way of documenting these things that were, she thought it was just her life, her diary, but the people she was writing about and the and, and the things, I mean, this was right in the Cold War, the whole shebang, mm. the, the people she was involved with, all of it, that is a minefield, a very deadly minefield if you don't know how to step and step very gently um, and with great care if you don't want to blow your head off. And she had no feeling for that. Anyway, so when she was up there in Calneva, one of the people that she was seen talking a lot to also, uh, she, they had sex several times, it seemed like, was Sam Giancana. And Sam Giancana hated, 
hated Bobby Kennedy uh, and also JFK because they had uh, they had uh, what do you call it doubled. Um, I mean, the the Chicago mob helped them into power, and then as a thank you, uh, JFK sat RFK and started chasing down the mob. So the mob felt completely double crossed. And Giancana absolutely hated um, Bobby Kennedy, especially Bobby Kennedy. It was the same with Jimmy Hoffa. He hated Bobby Kennedy and so on. So it, I think that the murder of Marilyn Monroe started at the, the weekend before in Calneva, where Giancana, with his dark mind, when he's, he was sitting there listening to Marilyn Monroe complaining about Bobby, complaining about uh, how the JFK, uh, the Kennedys were treating her, complaining and all of these things. And as far as I can see, that's where a plan was started to take out Marilyn with the intention of destroying Bobby Kennedy, making her die, but blame it on Robert Kennedy to get rid of him, to completely destroy him. I mean, he was the father of, I think, eight children. He was married. He was... Uh, so that on its own would be a complete disaster, complete disaster. But so the idea of her dying would be to destroy Robert Kennedy and thus get rid of uh, this threat against the Chico especially the Chicago mob and the mob down in in New Orleans, but I mean, the mob in the the whole of the U.S. was threatened by by the Kennedys. Mm. So anyway, so Santi and Karna activated a hit team that was flown in. We have Jimmy Files now, who says that uh, that uh, Sorry. yeah, on the show we did together, yeah, yeah, that he drove uh, Chucky Nicoletti, a hitman from the Chicago mob. And also with uh, another guy called Leo Mosseri, who was also in Dallas that uh, when JFK was killed. But these two, uh, he he drove to an, a small little airport called the Palwauki, Palwauki. I think that's the way you pronounce it, Palwauki Airport uh, in Chicago. So nowadays it's called the Ex Executive Airport in Wheeling, Illinois that he drove them uh, and there was this plane waiting uh, flown by uh, one of the Operation 40 pilots, Tosh Plumley, Robert Tosh Plumley. Uh, according to James Files, he took Leo Mosseri and Chucky Nic Nicoletti and another guy called D'Angelo. I think his first name is Frankie, Frank D'Angelo. I'm not completely sure. But this D'Angelo uh, was an expert on... Uh, tapping houses and, and bugging houses, finding bugs, this whole thing. So there were these two uh, that was uh, prepared and flown uh, to Los Angeles. There is possibly also uh, two other uh, mobsters that was flown in. We have uh, Sam, <coughs> Sam Giancana's uh, brother. He wrote a book called, uh, I think it's called Double Crossed. Um, where he names uh, two other people uh, from the Chicago mob as the one that were there to um, uh, 
to take uh, take her out. Uh, we have his name was but uh, sorry 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 sorry. Uh, I'll get back to it. Needles, uh, needles. Um, let let me get back to these. But anyway, the, there were possibly two more that Files does not know. Uh, he just uh, because very often you have different teams that come from different uh, locations, so that you instead of having a big group of of individuals that would be suspicious, uh, you know, to be flown in or or taken in cars or buses, not good if you stop a car with like five big dudes that looks like assassins, all of them, things like that. So instead you spread it out, different cars, different ways of getting there, different planes and so on. So I'm sus. Uh, I'm what do you call it? I'm speculating now, but I think there is a possibility that instead of just Chucky Nicoletti and Leo Mosseri, that also these two additional ones uh, uh, joined them, and uh, uh, that they were there and uh, was being sent to the same place. Uh, what the hell was these names? Needles was what is your name? Lead Needles. I'll I'll come back to it. Okay, so so anyway, so <clears throat> the official story. Uh, I'll I'll give you the official story. What first? What we're being told is that uh, uh, Marilyn was spending her last day. She was quite happy. Uh, she was uh, there in the house together with uh, her housekeeper, uh, Mrs. Uh, Eunice Murray, uh, also her her press agent, uh, Pat Newcomb, was there. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> at about uh, in the afternoon, uh, she calls Dr. Grease, uh, Greenson. He comes over in the afternoon. He tells uh, this press agent, uh, Pat Newcomb, to leave. And then uh, Dr. Green uh, Greenson stays until quarter past seven. Uh, he leaves. Everything is cool. Uh, normally, when Marilyn went to bed, uh, she she went to bed quite early, and she normally put the phones outside her bedroom and put a lot of pillows on top of it so that she wouldn't be disturbed by anyone calling. And then she just normally went to bed. She put some eye shades on, earplugs. And she took some sleeping pills. Normally, not very uh, heavy stuff, but that is uh, what she did. Mm-hmm. This this evening, though, was different because uh, we're back to the official story now. So at eight p.m., Marilyn Monroe says good night and closes her in as she goes into the room with the phone. Uh, then, sometimes during this evening, I'm not really sure. She calls Peter Lawford, who is the brother-in-law of the Kennedys and who had a, a beach house down in Santa Monica where the Kennedys and her often met. She calls him and according to him, she left this cryptic message saying, say goodbye to Jack. That would most probably be JFK, who was called Jack. And say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy. Cryptic, very strange. This is the official story, okay? Then a short time later, Mrs. Murray, uh, the housekeeper who had gone to, uh, gone to bed, she rec- receives a phone call from uh, Ma- uh, Marilyn's attorney, Michael Rudent, where he says, 
is Marilyn there? Is she all right? And Miss Eunice says, yeah, as far as I know, do you want me to go and check? And uh, Mickey Rudin says, no, no, no need. And he just puts down the receiver. Sometimes later here, it's very, very odd, the time uh, frequencies and stuff like that. But sometimes after midnight, uh, Eunice Morris, the housekeeper, says that she woke up with a bad feeling. She walked out. She saw that the phone was not in the hallway as it used to. Instead, uh, she saw the telephone cord going in under Marilyn's bedroom door. So she got very worried. And instead of, but instead of trying to open the door or knock on the door and say, are you okay? She went straight to the phone, called Dr. Greenson uh, and said, you have to come here, you have to come here. And, and uh, so the doctor did, he came, he arrived. And they say this is around 3.30 a.m. in the morning on the Sunday morning. It was a Saturday, the 4th of uh, August here. Anyway, so the dog tried the, the door, but it was locked. So instead, they went outside, took a, a fire poker, and managed to move away a curtain. They saw uh, that uh, Marilyn was there and crashed uh, the window. Um, that Sorry, uh, Mrs. Murray first managed to pull the curtain and see that she was naked in the bed. Then Greenson came afterwards, and he was uh, took this... Uh, fire poker and crashed the window, managed to open the door. They went in there, but they found Marilyn Monroe dead in the bed uh, with her phone, uh, with the, the phone clutched in the hand. So at 4.25 a.m., uh, they call uh, the police and the police says, uh, they come there and they say, okay, but she's been dead quite a while. Why didn't you call us earlier? And then uh, Dr. Greenson said, said uh, well, we had to get authorization from the pub publicity department of the studio before calling you. And uh, it just was very odd. And also there's a police officer, his name was Jack Clements, I believe. He, he was uh, one of the first ones there. And he noticed how it seemed to have been very cleaned up. Very, It was very clean. It was very... It, yeah, there were pills standing next to the to the bed, but it was it felt cleaned. That uh, yeah, so that's the official story. An ambulance came, brought her dead body to uh, the morgue. There was an autopsy made. It turned out that uh, the cause of death was barbiturates, uh, and they said that uh, uh, Marilyn most probably had given herself an uh, enema. Is that what you call it? Up up the butt with barbiturates and uh, that, that was the thing that killed her. In, yeah. in the autopsy you could see that uh, the, the lower part of the colon was purple very purple which is very unusual and but nothing was, uh, there was no toxi uh, what, toxification test done. I mean no, they didn't uh, save any parts of the colon for, for test later. Uh, instead, what we see right away is that the phone uh, list and phone and, uh, you know, different things just disappeared, just woof, woof, woof. A diary wasn't found and all of this thing. And then they pumped it out in international media that Marilyn Monroe had committed suicide, probably, most probably suicide. So that's the official story. So, um, 
one of Marilyn's uh, best friend, uh, Jean Carmen, uh, she was the one that uh, told about Bobby and Marilyn's uh, love story. And she said they had a really big thing going on there. And she was super, super in love with him. But then it became too much for Bobby as well. And there are rumors, I'm not sure if they're true or not, that Bobby had promised to marry Marilyn, you know, maybe because she was pregnant with a child, this child. I'm not sure. But she was... Uh, going on about maybe possibly becoming the first lady of the U.S., meaning in the future, because, I mean, RFK was planning for a big uh, career as well. And and her friend uh, Jeannie Carmen there to said, uh, I cannot see this happening. She said that Marilyn was in this uh, this uh, spaced out uh, place where, where reality wasn't really kicking in, you know, she was in this bubble of uh, of celebrity stuff and so on. Mm. But when, while these things were going on, Marilyn Monroe's house was bugged by possibly three different units, uh, possibly by the FBI with J. Edgar Hoover, who was trying to get dirt on her and the Kennedys. But also Giancarna had a team that had bugged the house, it seems like, where Hoffer was involved as well. But also, it seems like Marilyn Monroe herself had possibly bugged the house also so that she could record the things that was happening. It's it's very confusing because there are, people say that they've heard different recordings and it's very hard to know what recordings did you hear. What They also say that these recordings are still in circulation, that they're still available and so on. So hard to know, but at least her house was bugged this day. Okay, so Peter Lawford's house down on the Santa Monica beach uh, was also bugged uh, and tapped. You know, J. Edgar Hoover had tapped on everyone. And so <clears throat> when, uh, while these things were happening also, not only when she, we go back to the Calneva uh, weekend before the assassination, or before her death, there were, uh, uh, it seems like Marilyn took an overdose or tried to take an overdose. Not sure what that was, but that is at least the official story, that she was miserable and also because RFK had started uh, refusing to take her calls. At the same time also, it, she was being used uh, by the CIA who set her up with the Indonesian state's uh, uh, he was the uh, Sukarno. He was Indonesian. He was actually the first president of Indonesia after the independence uh, from the uh, the Dutch uh, rule, and uh, he was serving as a president of Indonesia from 1945 all the way up to 1967. But he also was given ambushed with this sex toy Marilyn Monroe that the CIA set them up, filmed them, and was using this afterwards. There's strange things around the JFK assassination and Indonesia as well uh, that I don't understand. It's on a very, very high level connected yeah. to the value of gold and their different companies set up. Several other people involved in the assassination was given 
they were being paid by uh, things, uh, parts of companies, parts of stuff here in Indonesia. And at the same time, also we have that uh, uh, Marilyn Rowe had just been set up with Sukarno uh, to be filmed, I believe, uh, with this whole thing. And it seems like it was not only him, but that that Marilyn was being used in this game, uh, given to different dictators, given to different, uh, uh, you know, as a really as a piece of meat, the way she was describing it. Yeah, there was uh, Shirley MacLaine uh, talked about how she was at a party one time, and Marilyn Marilyn Monroe was there. Bobby Kennedy came in, and, Mar- and she said Marilyn Monroe was like she was spaced out. And uh, she said Bobby Kennedy came in and Marilyn Monroe and Bobby Kennedy went into a separate room and that's the last she saw of them. So, uh, you know. Who was that? Who was that? Who said that? Shirley MacLaine. Now, now we've talked uh-huh. about how Shirley MacLaine was involved with um, all that polling. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, these these tangled webs, right? So it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Now, you you've also talked about the uh, Cal Neva in uh, in Lake Tahoe. I've 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 seen that thing a hundred times. Uh, here it is. Uh, we have now you've you've identified Frank Sinatra as being her handler, uh, her her sex that, handler, right? That is, I can't prove it, but that okay. is what I believe. How he was, uh, she was being used and controlled mostly by her, by him. Right. So here here's an article where you know these these are all over the place. Uh, that she was with the uh, Sam Giancana uh, at Frank Sinatra's lodge. So Cal Neva was, uh, I guess, Saint Frank Sinatra owned a piece of it or owned it or at one point. So uh, very, very interesting. So here's the uh, the Rat Pack, and one of the one of the Rat Pack is Peter Lawford, like you talked about. So mm-hmm. all of these connections, uh, you know, it's pretty pretty interesting. So it er, almost everyone says that she spent her last weekend at Cal Neva. Uh, before mm-hmm. uh, she died. Yeah, this is a well-documented fact. I, I'm trying to stick to the things mm-hmm. that it, it's not me coming up with like, whoa, look at this. These are uh, public acknowledged in many ways. Right. The two, the two, <clears throat> sorry, the two other mobsters was uh, Leonard Needles Gianola and the other one, James Moxie Tugtiurello. Mm. Uh so possibly we have Chucky Nicoletti, Leo Marseri, Tosh Plumley as the as the uh, pilot at for one plane. Then this uh, D'Angelo, I think Frank, uh, and possibly these two, Leonard Needles Gianola and James Maxi Tugtiorello, uh, join them there. I cannot prove it, and also <clears throat> it's like. The people in these operations, they never discussed it with afterwards. They never talked about it. They never bragged about it. They never anything. So many times, just like with James Files, he has absolutely no idea about the bigger picture. And also the things that he says where he was not personally involved is sometimes hearsay or rumors or things. So just because they were part of an operation doesn't mean that when they say something it's because they know so here since files was only the ones driving them to the airport he was not in la i'm not 
I do not distrust him whatsoever. But I, what he says, uh, you have to take a little bit like this, uh, just like uh, with other operations, except for his specific part. Right. These are completely compartmentalized operations. I was about to say oh, that, yeah. you only have your little piece. That's the way it was when I always worked for the CIA. Yeah, because, and if you start asking questions, that's when you start getting yourself into trouble and sometimes oh, yeah. get yourself terminated. So they do not. And and here, uh, according to James Files, they went, uh, these uh, mobster killers went there and Bobby Kennedy let the, let them into the house of Marilyn, which I find very odd because if you look at what happened, look at Marilyn, it was a year and a half before the JFK assassination. Had the mob been asked by JFK, which uh, so some researchers say that uh, JFK asked Giancana to take care of Marilyn, why on earth would he do that? He had the CIA, he had the whoever, he had, uh, you know, Secret Service. He had, lots of people could have done that. Why would he ask Giancana if he knew that this is going to mess up? I'm going to be in their control forever and ever. It doesn't make any sense to me, especially also since he was really going for them. And that had Bobby let them in, they would have had them by the balls. I mean, they would that the persecution of the mob, the witch hunt, all of that would have stopped there, and possibly JFK wouldn't have had to be assassinated because they would have had them in in their pocket. They would have had them under control. This is not what we see at all, at all. So anyway, so the official story is uh, Marilyn Monroe goes to bed. Uh, she's depressed. She takes an overdose, maybe by mistake, at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, her, her housekeeper gets this eerie feeling, runs out, to sees that the door is locked, goes around, manages to pull the curtain, see that uh, she's naked uh, on the bed, calls the doctor, They not, uh, he comes over, they crash the window <clears throat> and uh, uh, call the police. The police arrives at 4.30 a.m. in the morning way after she has died. And uh, then they go through, they, they notice that the whole thing looks strangely cleaned and somehow arranged according to the first police officers who was there. Then a, uh, an ambulance is called and they come and take the body away uh, in the morning of uh, August the 5th. But the timeline doesn't match up at all, at all, at all. Hello, this is Michael Jaco. If you want to learn more on how to unleash your own intuition, go to michaelkjaco.com, unleashingintuition.com, where you can find my courses on how to become the master of your own reality. So should I go straight to, should I, I can point out a lot of things that doesn't match up, but maybe it's better if I just go to what I believe happened. Would that be okay with you? Yeah, and, um, you know, she was orphan, and I think that she was inducted into the CIA's uh, Monarch program because uh, I've had uh, other people on that were in that program, and they talk about how they're used not just for sex for, you know, high 
government officials or movie stars or whatever Frank Sinatra decided to farm her out to, but uh, they were passing information. So they would they would have code. They had no idea, kind of compartmentalized like we were just talking about. They had code. They were told to tell, okay, when you have sex with this person, tell them this. And so they're passing code to everyone they're having sex with. And, uh, and a lot of times after they have sex with someone, they, they wipe them. They scrub their memory of having sex with that person. So uh, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It, it's absolutely crazy. But if you see uh, Marilyn's behavior, it makes a lot of sense coming. If you start noting, knowing these things and you start seeing what she was possibly involved in, and how she was treated and how she was abused and how she was being controlled. And I mean, that is not a happy chappy, you know, that uh, that is a horrible situation to be in. Yeah, because I think that once, you know, the, once you're in the MK Ultra mind control program, sometimes some of those memories still leak through. Mm. That's, that's what they all say. And it really, it, it would mess up anyone, but it, it starts to scramble they're, they're they don't know what's reality what's not and it's it's and so she's probably struggling with that and she wants to share information that she's privy to and she doesn't know how to do it i don't know what do you what are your thoughts we're getting there uh she was uh, i mean she was taken in and out from uh, she was at a you know had a mental uh, breakdown which we is also something we see for one thing, I mean, stars that are under a lot of pressure, that's one thing. But also, when people are in these programs, they have these breakdowns, they have these uh, things. And this psychiatrist, Dr. Greenson, I tell you, I do not trust that person yeah. at all, at all. So, anyway. And there's there's also um, some evidence that she may have been pregnant and they took the baby or boarded it or something uh, several times. Because she would go off on, like, to Mexico or something for uh, periods of time, and then she would come back. And so there's there's people that are... That that, that I don't know. Uh, yeah, okay. That I have no idea. So but, the, the, the end where did they even... I know that I've heard the autopsy stuff before, and I never remember that, them saying that she was pregnant. Where where do you where have you heard that? It's only from uh, Marilyn Monroe's uh, friend. Uh, okay. Uh, that's that's the one. She's the one pointing out. I mean, she was very close to Marilyn, mm -hmm. uh, and she was also. I mean, she was there with Bobby. She was there when they drove down to the beach. Uh, they were driving. She was driving this big uh, convertible. They were just having the time of their life, you know, completely free, running around naked uh, on the beach. She was also there at least three times when Marilyn had dinner with Sam G and Connor. She was. Uh, she was also the person that uh, Marilyn called three times her uh, the last uh, night of her life, asking her to come over, but she said no. Uh, so, meaning that she was a, a close friend of her. But what? So here is what I think was the plan. I think that Sam Giancarna started in the at the last uh, uh, weekend in Calneva, when he was talking to Marilyn, he saw she's on the breaking point here. She is at a point where she can easily be manipulated into doing things, stupid things, you know, to lure Bobby Kennedy into an ambush. So I think that he had 
advised Marilyn, you know, don't let these Kennys do this to you. Don't let them treat you like that. Don't then put some, uh, you know, put some pressure on them and and uh, confront him personally. Okay, so I believe that the idea was to get Bobby over to his her house. And then once uh, he left, they would go in and kill her and then blame it on Bobby Kennedy with his fingerprints, with witnesses seeing him going in and out of the house, whoever, and destroy him. That, I think, was the idea. So the mob was in, on location before the murder. The mobster, the mob killers were there. The FBI had bugged the house. Mm. Uh, so, so they were listening in. The mob also seems to have been uh, having this surveillance through this D'Angelo guy, Frank. Di uh, I think Frank Di uh, D'Angelo. So this is what I believe happened. He he was being set up there. It was an ambush to destroy Bobby Kennedy. Marilyn was not so important. She was getting out of hand. Uh, also, she wasn't really. Uh, she was 38. She didn't really have the same value anymore. Her career would have started going down. I don't know, but very often these stars are uh, valuable up to a certain age, especially when it comes to women, when it's uh, pop stars and so on. And then their career goes down and they become more worth dead than alive. That is very ice cold truth in these arenas. Yeah. So anyway, this is what I think the way that I put this puzzles together, what I think happened this day. So the real timeline is that just like it was said that Marilyn Monroe started her day with uh, housekeeper Eunice Murray and the press agent Pat Newcomb in the house. She was doing okay, but but she was very worried. She had been very sad and uh, you know and upset the last few days. Most probably. At that time, Bobby, officially he was up in San Francisco at a ranch there, but most probably Bobby Kennedy flew down over the, uh, during the day to Peter Lawford's house, beach house down in Santa Monica. Okay, so at uh, 4 p.m., uh, according to uh, these, uh, these um, audio tapes, the tapping uh, audio tapes that... Uh, uh, have this sort of like uh, come up to the surface and then disappeared. There are certain researchers that have heard them. They hear at 4 p.m. more or less, we have uh, RFK with another man coming to Marilyn Monroe's house. She she seemed to have made phone calls before. And so he came, he drove over to her, I think going into the ambush. This I think this was, was the plan. Okay, so RFK and another man comes to uh, the house. The more uh, the talk goes on, it starts out quite uh, calm, but then it starts accelerating. Uh, Marilyn Monroe is very upset. Uh, she's very demanding to know why certain promises are, have been broken. She is very pissed off. She said, I refuse to let myself be used like this. And RFK, who had a very hot temper as well, he started sort of, uh, his whole thing started accelerating as well. And he was getting more and more angry. And then the, that recording ends with that you can hear that there's maybe not a fight, but there's like uh, furniture falling over 
and it seems like uh, the sound of Marilyn sounds like she's almost being sedated or uh, calmed down. There are some reports of that that RFK uh, ordered the other man to give her a calming injection, uh, you know, to calm her down, and then they put her in the bed and they leave the house. So they have injected her with a calming whatever. They put her in a bed and just like, okay, let's, uh, let's leave now. So at uh, half an hour later, uh, we have, no, that uh, around 4.30 p.m., that's when RK leaves. And Marilyn Monroe calls Dr. Greenson, her psychiatrist, and according to him, she sounds somewhat drugged and dazed. I think maybe because of that injection that she had just been given. Uh, so he is officially coming over and he stays until about 7.15 p.m. He said she seemed somewhat depressed. Uh, and at uh, also during the afternoon there, he tells Marilyn Monroe's press agent, Pat Newcomb, to leave. Maybe she left before RFK arrived, maybe not. Uh, she has never, uh, as far as I know, uh, given any testimonials about what happened there. So at 7.15, Dr. Greenson leaves. At more or less the same time now, Peter Lawford, the brother-in-law of uh, the Kennedys and also a close friend of Marilyn, calls to invite Marilyn Monroe for dinner. But I think what he's doing is checking how she's doing, you know, has she calmed down and, and so on. And at the same time, it seems like RFK remained in Los Angeles. Officially, he was in San Francisco, but that he remained somewhere in Los Angeles, most probably at the uh, Peter Lawford house as well. So uh, it seems like that, uh, that he's sort of calm, uh, that he, uh, that he uh, thinks, okay, she's fine. So 8 p.m., Mrs. Morrow retires to her bedroom. Marilyn stays in her bedroom with the phone and she starts calling her friends and she's uh, she's not doing good. She's trying to get uh, some friends over and so on. <clears throat> uh, at 8.30 p.m., Peter Lawford expresses his concern to Mickey Rudent, if you remember him, the uh, Marilyn's attorney. And a short, short time later, Mrs. Morrow receives a phone, this phone call from Mickey Rudent where he asked, is Marilyn there? Is she all right? And uh, Dr. Uh, or Mrs. Eunice there, she says, uh, do you want me to check on her? Uh, no, no, no needs to, he says. And then uh, that it. So that's that phone call. Then at 10 p.m., uh, Marilyn calls her friend Carmen for the third time, the last time, and said, please come over. And Carmen declines. So here's when it starts here. 10.15 RFK makes a second visit. This time he's together with Peter Lawford. Uh, and it is in here again, we we hear a lot of noise. We hear uh, uh, especially the the this whole thing. I'm sorry, Michael, I messed up a little bit. The first time when RFK was there, uh, we hear there's an argument, there's a heated thing. He's shouting, where is it, where is it? Uh, and most probably they're talking about uh, the... Diary. Uh, the diary. The first time he, they're getting upset, then RK leaves. 
then when he comes back at quarter quarter past 10 uh, in the evening, he comes for a second visit together with Peter Lawford. This is where he starts screaming. You know, he's really starting getting very upset, going through the whole apartment. Where is it? Where is it? There's been speculations about where is it? It was never said the diary. But for me, it sounds most probably that that is it because he saw that at the first visit. He saw the diary and he got very upset about what the hell is this? And she said, it's only my diary. Don't worry about it. He said, but this is, this is my life we're talking about. You have to get rid of it. He leaves. Second time he comes back and now he's really want to find the diary. And this is where, uh, where the, there's a struggle. Uh, not the first time, this time, and where she's given some kind of sedative to calm down. They put her in the bed and they leave. So that was 10.15. At 10.30, as soon as they leave, the mob killers who have been listening in all the time moves in. At this point, uh, Marilyn is in like a haze and this is where they give her this lethal drug, uh, the barbiturates. Where, which is pushing her into a terminal coma, where they, they do it there up her butt with this uh, enema. Uh, but also, uh, there, there is a possibility, I've heard from somebody else who claims to know, that she was also injected air uh, in, with a needle into her body system. And they went into in the pubic area where a needle prick would not be seen or easily discovered so that they injected air into her and that was also part of of killing her mm. anyway a quarter to 11 instead of 3 30 in the morning this is where suddenly mrs murray is in panic mode and starts calling around and a, a, a an ambulance is also called to the house not the official ambulance that we see in the photos when they bring her her dead body, they take it away the next morning. This is a completely different uh, ambulance that is called to the house. At the same time also, uh, you had uh, a man called Arthur, Arthur Jacobs, who was, uh, he was responsible for Marilyn's press relations uh, and all of these things. He was at a concert with his wife at the Hollywood Bowl, Bowl and uh, he was given a phone call around 10.30, something like that, around the same time as all of this thing is, where they say that uh, Marilyn most probably is dead. So he he leaves like, woof, he leaves, he goes straight to the house, and then he's disappeared, according to his wife, for three days, where I think they were part of covering, covering, covering up the whole thing. That was uh, what was going on the days following this whole thing. So around 11 p.m., it said that this Arthur Jacobs arrived to the house as well. Uh, the ambulance has been on its way, and it arrives at 10, no, 11.30 p.m. Uh, and the, according to ambulance driver or, or an assistant, his name was Ken Hunter. He was working for the company called Schaefer Ambulance Services. And, and uh, according to him, Marilyn was alive, but died in the ambulance. Dr. Greenson was also in the ambulance. They were on their way to the St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica when she died in hospital. And panic erupted and somebody, I don't know, decided, let's return her body to the house. So they, they, they turn around the ambulance before arriving. 
drive her back. And then uh, around midnight, where also uh, Marilyn's neighbor <clears throat> sees that there's a lot of cars and an ambulance outside the house, which is like many hours before the official story, uh, at around midnight, the ambulance returns to the house. They take her body and they put her back in her bed. They they strip her. They put her in the bed, and they arrange the whole scene with the tablets, the pills, uh, the phone in her hand, uh, making it look like a suicide. And then between midnight and three a.m., the house is swept clean, absolutely clean, by Bobby Kennedy's people. Uh, Bobby Kennedy uh, it calls a guy called. Uh, Fred Otis, I think Otash, and his he's given the task to go in and clean him and his people, get rid of anything that could connect that house with the Kennedys. So this is, I believe, during these hours where the diary is found and taken care of, ne yeah. never to be seen again. Maybe it is out there somewhere. I've never heard of it, uh, but anyway, so. Everything is cleaned, you know, uh, fingerprints, anything that can point towards Kennedy. And at the same time as this is done, RFK, who is once again officially in San Francisco, he is now taken to uh, from L.A. and flown to San Francisco. He was observed uh, getting on a plane. And also the thing was that he was on a surveillance uh, when this whole thing happened. So... So there were um, intelligence officers that saw him come to uh, Marilyn's uh, house earlier this day. This is why we know the times and so on. And so at uh, that's between midnight and 3 a.m. Then 3.30 a.m., that's when they kick in the official story and they get uh, Dr. Greenson to crack the window and the, the whole thing to set the whole thing up. Then 4.25 Somewhere 4.25 to 4.45 a.m., police is called in and she is reported, officially reported dead uh, and then later transported to the morgue. And then at 6.04 in the morning, there's a phone call made by Peter Lawford to the White House where he is speaking to the president. And wow. I would strongly suggest that that is a phone call to the president regarding what happened. Who would call at 6.04 in the morning? That was 9.04 on the East Coast. But who would make that phone call if it wasn't anything urgent? And here we have Peter Lawford right in the center. And Peter Lawford was in a miserable state the rest of his life. He was haunted. He was uh, Many of the people involved in these lies were tormented by it afterwards, having to keep the uh, going, yeah. going, going, going. Mm -hmm. But so I think the Chicago mob set up an ambush. They were waiting. They, were, they had lured Bobby Kennedy through Marilyn by manipulating Marilyn in, in threatening him, getting him over on location. Maybe the mob even know that he was on the surveillance, meaning that the, these agents would see him enter into the house. There was even... There was an ambulance driver. No, let me see. Uh, ambulance driver or police officer that said that while they were in there with with uh, Marilyn's body, she was still alive. And suddenly, this man came in with a doctor's bag, 
and just pulls out a, a, a syringe with a heart needle uh, already on it. And she's saying, like, how is she doing? And then he just jabs her right in the chest, and then he declares her dead. What kind of syringe was that? What kind of... <clears throat> what happened there? <laughs> so anyway, so... Sorry. An ambush for to destroy Robert Kennedy through Marilyn. They get her to, like a honey trap, call him into the trap. They know that they are going to get be upset, especially when, because she was, I forgot to tell you that, she had been uh, set up, she had set up a press conference on the following Monday where she was said, officially she was saying, she was, she said that I'm going to blow the lid of this whole damn thing. That was just the day after her death. You know, so there was a very short timeline or, or a time before this whole thing, whatever, this damn thing, whatever that meant, would explode. And so the Kennedys were threatened. So Bobby Kennedy comes there. They, they, the, the mob listens in. They hear that they give her some sedative. Then as soon as Bobby leaves, they go in and they really kill her. And then the whole thing um, starts when the housekeeper dis uh, discovers that she's dead. So she calls and panic erupts. And I believe that Bobby Kennedy might very well have thought that he was part of killing Marilyn by mistake. That the sedative that they gave was too much. And that he was actually responsible for the death of Marilyn. That could also be why, uh, because he used J, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI, afterwards to clean the telephone records, the, all of these things. So he was in debt to JFK. And so when JFK was assassinated, boom, what happened with Robert Kennedy from being this very aggressive, very fast-moving, go-for-it, whatever, you know, pit bull terrier, he became completely silent. I mean, the shock of his brother, for sure. But he just went into absolute underdog mode, quiet, not doing anything until five years later in 68 when he started coming back on the scene. Mm. Was that because they had him by the balls around the, the Marilyn Monroe thing? Sounds like it. Because mm. if he was not informed about the mob... And who knew about them? Or maybe even the Jade Gahu, and they didn't even know about it either. Well, you, you know, his his brother um, was was hanging out at the hotel Calneva with all these people too, with the with the mob, with the CIA, with Marilyn, and yeah. the, so they're all like know each other. They all, you know, support and protect each other. Uh, so somehow somebody fell out of favor, and that's Marilyn, I guess. So she's all involved with all of them in some fashion, having sex with them or um, friends with them, you know, whatever. Um, so you you have all these different uh, people that are involved. Uh, Shirley MacLaine is uh, she talks about the Rat Pack too. Uh, in her all of her books, she used to hang out with them. She'd fly with them everywhere. She'd perform with them, so she's involved in all that too. So she's obviously seeing stuff herself. I don't think she reveals everything. I think she probably knows a lot more than what she reveals. 
probably because she knows if she goes too far, she'll be killed or whatever. I mean, Hollywood is the center of a lot of dark stuff. Yeah. And uh, God knows. I was I was going to interview uh, uh, an incredible actress. His na her name was Christine Kaufmann. She was a German actress, but a big Hollywood star. Mm. In in these times as well, she she was uh, married to Tony Curtis, oh, wow. and and a few years ago, I asked her because she contacted me. She she started following me, and and we became friends. And then I I said, would you ever be able uh, open to the idea of me interviewing about Hollywood and the life on the inside? This was way before yeah. PizzaGate, and these things. And she said yes. Uh, she said, my career has been destroyed a long time ago. You know, she's uh, completely frozen out uh, um, from Hollywood and that whole thing. And she said, yeah, I'll be happy to do it. So we arranged for a date and everything was uh, online. She was doing great. I mean, she was uh, she was very famous for being a natural beauty, uh, you know, very flexible. She was, uh, I think, 68, but I mean, she was doing yoga. She never had a, a beauty operation or a facelift or anything like that. Looked stunning. She had all of these uh, health products and skin products and and all of these things. And and then uh, we had set up a, a date. And she emailed me and she said, "Yeah, I'm on my way to München now. My grandson is going to help me with a microphone because she's not so good. She wasn't good with tech stuff and stuff like that." And she said, "I'm really looking forward to in the interview." And then on the day I called her and. There was no reply, and I thought maybe she forgot. Maybe she, and then I couldn't get back in touch with her. And then I read in the newspapers that uh, she had died from a long, uh, uh, from chronic disease that she had been having leukemia for years, and that she finally succumbed. Cost like for me that was creepy. I just felt freak me out. Had yeah. I been part part of maybe. I'm still confused around that one because the, yeah, that's not cool. That, wow, even was, even uh, after not being in Hollywood for all that time, they're still tracking her. And, but and, this is the this, out. This, wow. This is the thing. If you're on the inside of, I think many of the people on the inside, they are in the know. They live in a different world. They live in a in a world of where this is normal, where a lot of dark stuff is normal, it's just sure. part of your your career, and you have to do stuff to be part of that. And a lot of these people also, both actors and in the music industry, you see relatives or, you know, relatives, mothers, fathers, daughters, sons, brothers, they die. Yeah, and it's 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 like a very clear pattern of that. You have success, but you have to make a sacrifice. And yeah. there's um, and people from the inside, many people have spoken openly about that. It's very, very dark. And so when you have somebody like Marilyn right in the center of this whole thing, what on earth was going around? What was happening there? So I think that even in at death, she was just sacrificed. She was just used, once again being used, to try and destroy Robert Kennedy, but because she was found before uh, she was supposed to be found, you know, maybe because right after, it wasn't long after the mobsters left <clears throat> that uh, 
the housekeeper got worried and then found her in bed and called around all of that. Had she not, had she slept the night through, <laughs> then the last one in would have been um, Robert Kennedy and they wouldn't have had time to clean up the place. They wouldn't have had uh, time to cover the whole thing up <clears throat> and Kennedy would have gone down and possibly JFK as well. So I think this is not a matter of a suicide. This is a matter, this is a case that is connected to to historically very, very important things. And possibly the thing that started that night on the 4th of August, 62, ended on the 22nd of November, 1963. Mm -hmm. You know, when they, did, when they couldn't get that, then they took him in, Dealey, uh, in Dallas. And even then in 68, when Robert Kennedy came back, boom, Ambassador Hotel, and then King as well. So it's like these cases, I feel, are very, very tightly connected. You had the same uh, pathologist, also both RFK and Marilyn Monroe. But this, I think, was a good guy. But uh, you had one of the coroners that were doing the uh, Olof Palme assassination, the, the autopsy of Olof Palme. He was also present when, when Martin Luther King autopsy. What, what is the chance, like Sweden and the U.S.? It's like, what on earth are they using? He's, he's basically one, their guy, so he's going to come in and, and clean. So that's, that's what the, you know, to, they're all, they, they control everything. They have like, uh, you, like there's one police officer who came in and said, yeah, this place looks like it's been cleaned. And then somebody else will come in and that's one of their people. And it's like, ah, it's, Yep, suicide, cut and dry, uh, and doesn't even mention that you know the, the scene has been cleaned by you know three mobsters that were flown in from Chicago. Oh, so it's uh, it's an, it's it's amazing. But the ones that cleaned up the whole thing was not the mobsters. The, the, you know, that was stuff? Bobby's Bobby's people. Bobby's people. So what did the mobsters do? Where were they? Uh, at? Oh, what are they? Okay, do? so so. The Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, he came twice. First time, uh, he he went there. He was, I think, learned into an ambush. They started having a heated argument, and then he found out about her diary. She, he got very upset with the diary. Said, "You have to give it, give it, you know, destroy it, destroy it." And she said, "No." He, he left. Then a, a, later in the evening, he came back to get the diary, you know, because also. Maybe had heard because she was not discreet about this press conference on the mo on the Monday, you know. So he had to get that out of her possession because it was a deadly weapon against him, his career, JFK. God knows what she had in that diary. Also, with the CIA, the FBI, all of these entangled webs with dictators and presidents and what whatever you know. Even with the mobster connections, who knows what she had written in that one. They, it got really heated. He he uh, uh, asked this other guy uh, to give her a sedative so she would calm down. They put her in bed. As soon as they left, that's when the mobster killers came in and killed her. Okay. Blaming it on Robert. They wanted to blame it on Robert. So he left. They sneaked in because they had been listening in all the time. They sneaked in and they gave her the barbiturates that possibly... Uh, 
a needle with air, um, an injection with air uh, to kill her. So she went into like a a lethal coma, a deadly coma. Right. But then they left the building, you know, arranging it so that it would point towards Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. But it was at that point where this housekeeper, uh, for some reason, came in. Maybe she heard them. Maybe she saw them leave. Who knows what she... And so she went in and found uh, Marilyn unconscious and then started making phone calls. Yeah. And that I, I, I think she the was whole coached. I think they probably uh, coached her what she was going to say. I, I've oh, heard, yeah. you know, what, before she died or something, she revealed some, I don't know. But uh, I she think she was probably coached. She was, she, yeah, God, yeah. I mean, the whole thing, but she was, yeah. she was just a housekeeper. She wasn't yeah. an important person. And suddenly she was involved in this massive operation where she was told, you, this is what you have to t- say. Right. And so uh, she was interviewed by uh, a great author called Anthony Summers, who was the one that uh, wrote the, the, some of the biggest uh, books about Marilyn, JFK, other people like that as well. And, and he said that after he stopped interviewing her, uh, they turned off the camera and suddenly she just put her hands up but, you know, like started crying and saying, how long do I have to keep this, these yeah. things, these lies going? How long? How long? Mm-hmm. Because she was caught in this. Uh, th- you this, you this, have to this... keep it going as long as you want to live, as long as you want yeah. your family to live or whatever they threaten you with. You know that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's got to be frustrating. Peter Lawford, like you said, you know, he he was torn. He was miserable. Yeah, miserable yeah. the rest of his life. So, yeah, that's what Damn. happens to a lot of these people that are involved. So he's 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 hanging out with a Rat Pack, not knowing that his buddy Frank Sinatra is like, you know, forming Marilyn Monroe out for sex. Probably, I don't know. So uh, it's but I, you just think they're I all think... buds and they're having a good time. That's that's how these things are. Um, I I see people now that I know that are are like totally evil, and people still think they're like, God, they're so great, and wish them happy birthday and everything. And it's like it's like. How much? How much do I have to tell you guys about this stuff? I I know you're like the same way. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. It's like, come on, wake up. <laughs> do you know, I I uh, I was one of the speakers in Dallas uh, some years ago at the assassination conference. Mm-hmm. Another speaker was John Barber, who was uh, he's a five time Emmy award winning TV legend. He had like uh, a show that was uh, just like Letterman, but before that, he was also the uh, the inventor of reality TV. I mean, wow. he's a TV legend who also, his, his whole career went down the drain when he started questioning the JFK assassination wow. very early on. He went to interview uh, Jim Garrison, uh, the attorney down in in, uh, in uh, New Orleans, New Orleans uh-huh. about this whole thing and got an incredible interview and wanted to air it and that was his career. Stop. Boom. Wow. It just got mm-hmm. completely destroyed. But anyway, I asked John, uh, I said, when when you meet these people, I mean, because he has interviewed all of them, all the celebrities, you know, Kurt Russell, no, not Kurt Russell, uh, all of them, all of them, all of them. And so I said, but these people that you sit and talk to like that, I said, I've had some very weird experiences when, I, I call them 2D and 3D uh, individuals, like 
on 2D, on camera, you put the camera on record, and suddenly they're really charming, they're really funny and like that. As soon as you turn off the camera, that's when I call it 3D reality, when suddenly this person is, there's no spotlight, there's no gain to be made for whatever. And sometimes they turn out very different. Like for me, it's been quite shocking a few times. And so I asked him, I said, John, you who have met so many people, I mean, many of them Hollywood stars, many of them, he's, I said, have you ever experienced that? And he said, in all cases except two, in all of his interviews, hundreds, all of the cases except two, people have been exactly like that. Uh, some of them real assholes you put on the camera, boom, you turn on the red light, boom, and suddenly they're super charming, funny, all of these things like that. Turn off the camera, absolute asshole again. <laughs> so what are we looking at? Yeah. It's, mm. you know, when you look at Hollywood, these are actress, actresses yeah. that are good at acting, good at not being themselves. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's so, that area that you're talking about, you know, um, uh, Laurel Canyon. You, oh, you had, uh, uh, who's that, uh, Jim Morrison. Uh, his father was like a, a rear admiral uh, that was involved in Vietnam and all kind of crazy stuff. But they know that the Gulf of Tonkin, that Gulf whole Tonkin, incident. Exactly, that, that incident. He, he, he was the officer in chief on that warship that was officially attacked. Right, but do do you know that started the war with Vietnam? Yeah, that he and his son, boom, they they were on like opposite sides of the Vietnam War. You know, the the doors were completely against Jim, Jim Morrison, and the doors appeared in Lower Canyon. Also, Jim Morrison had all the lyrics with him, pre-printed. Never wrote any lyrics afterwards. Anyway, and then they did. I mean, there were these very intense years like four or five years, and then he officially died, I think, in 1970, on the very same time as his uh, very same date as his father retired from the military. So both of them retired out of these, if you ask me, operations. It's like uh, we're being played. We're being played on so yeah. many different levels. And and that, that weird thing about the drowning in a bathtub, so he he died. Uh, Morrison dies in a bathtub. Whitney Houston dies in a bathtub. It's like what what is what is it going on with these pop stars dying in bathtubs or, or plane crashes or it's mm. it's crazy. But you're right about right. them being more um, valuable dead at some point than they are to continue going because they can use their all their information. They own all their information at that point. And they can just keep selling it, making money off it. I'm I'm, I'm sure they made. A billion dollars off of Marilyn Monroe selling all of her stuff mm. over the uh, and shit. And who who got access? To she had no one. There was no one that got her estate, as far as I know, I know. So uh, very very interesting. Yeah, Whitney. I mean, Whitney is a, a perfect example of how she, from going her her career was going completely. Her voice was she was losing her voice. When she was fifty. She was like going down the drain, and. Uh, Second really point, making them. Mm -hmm. They had this reality show. Uh, her family absolute on drugs and messed up and whatever. She was, and then she dies on a very specific date at the Beverly Hills Hotel, 
that when they had this big, uh, not the Grammys, uh, was it the Grammys? I think it was uh, the Grammys, yeah. Something, yeah. Some, some kind Where of... she was, she was found 3 uh, p.m. in the afternoon, uh, around 3 p.m., she was found dead in the bathtub. It is said that she was drunk and pills and that she had just slipped down. She was found face down, according to the autopsy or the, the whole uh, crime scene investigation. She was found face down. How many takes a nice little bath uh, with the face down in a bathtub? I mean, doesn't happen. And then her, her body was being pulled out. It was already cold, according to one of the people on, on site. And then it was left there. She was left naked on the floor of this hotel room until after midnight. And at midnight, you will see in, in, the, in the crime scene uh, investigation protocol and also from the autopsy, they, they, took, uh, they took samples of her nails and pubic hair at midnight. What the hell is that? She died three after p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> Officially, why wasn't she taken to the morgue? <laughs> but it was this guy, Clyde Davis, who is the manager. That is a very dark individual, if you ask me, who ordered that her body would be left there. <laughs> Sorry. Clive Davis. Uh, so, yeah, he's definitely he a bad baddie. And uh, so, and then her daughter's like they killed well, my mother, and then she dies. She died on the same one year later on the date, exact date, uh, after being found head down in the bathtub. Oh, sorry. All right. Yeah. Well, it looks like a dog. So, uh, we'll, we'll we'll give your voice a break. So, thanks so much for coming on. How can people uh, reach you? Uh, lightonconspiracies.com. That's the one. <laughs> lightonconspiracies.com. I have a monthly newsletter that where I go into great detail about many, many, many of these events. I got more than 1,200 interviews, podcasts, webinars. There's more than 5,000 articles. <clears throat> it's my my whole life is on that website so uh, I hope that it can be of value and I also have what I believe is the world's biggest research vault that uh, is also available so cute little head yeah yeah that's good <laughs> <laughs> alright anyway so <clears throat> amazing amazing uh, reveal here and there's Marilyn right there Yes, got her right there in the. Yes. So you got them all. Got them all in here. Oh, we were just talking about Whitney, and look at there. You have Whitney right there. Wow, well, about that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we just, we just naturally tie it all together. It's pretty pretty incredible, right? Uh, the, there's very dark, and you have basically brought light on it. Light on the darkness. Good job. I'm trying to. I'm trying to because it is. It's like. Uh, these things have affected us in such a deep way, yeah. especially the ones of us who has been alive during these uh, events. And so it's almost like a, a healing process to find out, oh my yeah. God, now I get it. Now I get it. You know, I've been... Uh, e even if what, what you're finding out, because I was like, I wanted to know. I was just a kid. How, why would I want to know uh, the real story? Because I felt 
something's not right here. You know, even as a kid uh, on Marilyn Monroe, and I'm just yeah. like researching, researching, re- researching. That still carries over to my life now, but uh, and obviously you as well. But um, it is it is is great that you have shed a lot of light on that and, and put that together because we've talked about that. You've given me pieces, and so while you were talking, I was people were like, "Well, Mike, you seem to be really informed." Is because of you that I I knew a lot of these things, and I did a lot of the research in the Calneva, and all, I found all those things out about all those people because you point him in that direction. So that's that's the beauty of these conversations. It's not like people just go brain dead. Ooh, it's like oh, you're you're giving me information. No, it should be like getting you inspired to do your own research, and that's what your site does too. It gives people more insights. If they if you want to go deeper, you got it. You've got the info. Yeah, because the if you go to Google, you won't find anything. Mm, oh, they covered that up. So censored. Yep. Do you know that uh, if I put in my own name, and one of the things I'm known as is Truth Seeker, my own name at Truth Seeker, I come on on eight number eight. But first, there's Pinterest and all kinds of stuff like that. Even my <clears throat> my own name, oladamagod.com, goes to a law firm in in El Paso or something like that. It's mm. bizarre what is going on. So. I'm saying that if you look at the the number of hits you used to have when you were looking into these type of things, like, and now you look now, it's it's gone. Like ninety five percent is gone, and that's why I find that uh, this is one of the reasons I put such an incredible effort into this research vault, where I've been come all on a daily basis, just save, 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 because in one month it's gone. Yeah. And then there will only be the official narrative on all of these cases, on all of these false flags, on all of, only the official narrative will be there for generations to come or for our kids or for anyone who gets interested. It's just not there anymore. So nowadays to do your own research, I don't even know what that means hardly because it's very hard to find out if you don't go to specific sources. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, Ole. Thanks, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll still keep sending you guys prayers to get that healing. Thank you, absolutely, Thank you so much. Right. And merry, merry Christmas. Thank you, and uh, you know, you belated merry Christmas to you. But uh, so, yeah, thanks for that little old, uh, Santa hat. That was that was that was good <laughs> on your side. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, dope. Thank you so much for listening to Unleashing Intuition Secrets, the podcast. Until next time, stay in the love vibration as you continue your journey to become the master of your reality.